0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another day of Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright, happy to be with you on this Wednesday morning, July 6th. We've got a lot to get to on today's show, so let's go first and foremost to the most important thing we will do, and that is to start this morning off together in prayer. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is good to be with you on this Wednesday morning. It is going to be a hot one today. And, uh, you know, that's the name of the game is beat the heat. And how can you beat the heat? I don't know. I don't know. I know I have some ideas for how I'm going to beat the heat today. And uh, if all else fails, maybe when I get home, I'm just going to turn the sprinkler on and go sit in a chair in my yard with the sprinkler raining down upon me. Who knows? What I do know, though, is we're going to start the day off together here on Roadmap to Heaven, and we are going to hit the road this morning. Where are we going? Well, I don't know that I want to tell you, but I'll tell you that because it's exciting. It's the first time we've gone somewhere. It's the first of its kind interview for us. Um, I'll give you a clue. We're going to visit a religious order, and we're going to talk about an upcoming novena that starts this Saturday. So pay attention for that. That'll be uh, pretty early on in the show here. And then later in the show today, we're going to be talking with Kristalina Evert about the opportunities we have here in the summertime with our children. Now, uh, you know, I came home from work yesterday, and... They were driving me crazy within five minutes. I love them dearly, but they were driving me crazy within five minutes, right? And we've all had days like that. So what do we do and how do we love them and how do we not miss out on these opportunities? Because there will come a day that I'm going to come home on a summer afternoon from work and they'll be grown. They'll be gone. They'll be out of the house and hopefully they'll be living a great life. But a lot of that depends on the formation they receive now. Kristalina Everett's going to call in and help us make some sense of this, and give us some ideas for the summertime. And then later, we continue our conversations with Dr. Scott Hahn on Eucharistic Revival. And I don't know about you, but I couldn't get enough of yesterday's time with Dr. Scott Hahn. So I'm really looking forward to today's time with Dr. Scott Hahn. Now, if uh, you can't get enough, well, we've got good news. Roadmap to Heaven is on Podcast format. I don't know if you knew that. Not only are we live on the radio right now, here at seven o three a.m. on this Wednesday morning, but later this morning the show will be posted in a podcast format, and you can be sure to go visit that in your favorite podcast player, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, etc. Or go to ourcatholicradio.org/slash/programs, or just go to ourcatholicradio.org, click on programs, and then click on Roadmap to Heaven. And you will find us there. And then you can share this with your friends, with your loved ones, anyone who you say, I really wish they could have heard that. Well, you can share that with them. Why do I mention that? Well, every now and then, every now and then, we have some bonus content that we slip in for our podcast listeners. And today is no exception. In fact, when we go on the road this morning, uh, we had such a delightful conversation. It was too much to fit in the allotted time that we have today today. But we're going to bring you that full conversation on the podcast a little bit later on this morning. So a little incentive to go check that out. Like I said, it's going to be a hot, hot, hot day today. And on these days, I just want to encourage you to be careful. Take it easy. Um, you know, I, I know of a few people who suffered some maladies from the heat yesterday. They got dehydrated and they just got overheated. And I just want to remind you to be on guard against that and to please pray. I mean, that's probably number one. There are a lot of people that they don't have air conditioning. They don't have the ability to get in from the heat. They might be homeless. They might have to work outside. Who knows what it may be. Uh, pray for them. Pray for them today that they may remain safe and uh, Well, that's all I'm going to say about that. We've got a lot to get to on today's show, so let's go to Mike Roberts now for a check of today's weather.
1: Today is the feast day of St. Maria Goretti. Born in Coronado, Italy in 1890, Maria was the third of seven children. Her parents, Luigi and Assunta, already poor, lost their farm and were forced into migrant labor. When she was about nine, the family moved to a small town roughly 50 miles outside of Rome where they could work the fields of other farmers while sharing a home with another family, which included Giovanni Serenelli and his son Alessandro. Maria did not work in the fields. While the rest of the family went out, she stayed home attending to the house and watching her younger sister, Teresa, on July 15, 1905. She was sitting on the steps of her home, mending one of Alessandro's shirts while he worked in the barn. Alessandro returned from the barn and tried to rape Maria, but she fought back telling him what he was doing was a mortal sin. In a rage, he choked and stabbed her 14 times before running off. Taken to the hospital, it was clear Maria would not survive the attack. In the last hour of her life, she told the family she'd been afraid of him but did not want to disturb them And then she forgave Alessandro and hoped he would go to heaven. Then Maria died. Sentenced to prison, Alessandro was unrepentant for many years until one night, in a dream, he had a vision of Maria gathering flowers and giving them to him. From that point on, he changed. And when he was released, after 27 of his 30 years... He immediately went to Maria's family to beg their forgiveness. Meanwhile, devotion to Maria grew. Miracles were attributed to her. And when she was beatified by Pope Pius XII, Alessandro was among the 250,000 people in attendance, along with their mother, two sisters, and a brother. And in 1950, 500,000 came to see her canonization. On that day, Pope Pius XII called Maria the St. Agnes of the 20th century. St. Maria Goretti, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint
0: of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network, and we are happy to be on the road today to a place we have never been with the show today, and uh, also a first for us in who we are interviewing. We are at the Carmelite Monastery of St. Joseph on Clayton Road in St. Louis County, speaking with Sister Gemma Rose, the sub and Sister Miriam from the monastery. And sisters, first off, it's very good to be with you today. But second, I have to say, this is our first interview through a cloister grill. And so uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity. This is uh, new territory for me today. Well, we are talking about the upcoming novena, which this will be the 74th annual novena of Our Lady of Mount Carmel here at the monastery. I remember when I first attended a few years ago how beautiful it was to have the outdoor mass, wonderful preaching, and just a great gift for the faithful who are able to come, who really come from all over as well. We think of a novena, nine days of prayer, but what is the history of of this particular novena. Why celebrate Our Lady of Mount Carmel? Who was the Blessed Mother under
2: that title? I think where we've gotten the most confirmation of Our Lady of Mount Carmel comes from the apparition at Fatima. She appeared to the three children under the title of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And so we know that she plays a large part in the Marian apparition And as Carmelites, we know that she appeared to the hermits who were living on Mount Carmel way back in the 12th century. So for us, we have a long history with her. So we are excited to be able to celebrate her feast day. It's the most principal feast of our year up there with Christmas and Easter. (laughs) So she is special to every Carmelite. So
0: perhaps a fitting analogy, much as a married couple would celebrate their wedding anniversary. uh, This is similar. This is the day for the order that really goes back to the founding of the order. Your whole purpose of the order is to be Carmelites. And so Our Lady of Mount Carmel, obviously, is a wonderful celebration.
2: Yes, and, and we talk about Carmel being consecrated to Mary and the order belonging to her, and most especially under the title and patronage of Our Lady of Mount Carmel.
0: Now, as we mentioned at the start of the interview, this is our first time doing an interview with a cloistered community. And this is one of those things, as a father of four daughters, I often find myself having to explain this. Dad, what's the difference between a sister and a nun? And today we're actually precisely experiencing that. I don't know if you want to say a little bit about what life in a cloister is. I mean, what separates you from perhaps the religious sisters that we see out in the world?
3: So as nuns, we are called to live within the cloister because God has called us to be specifically and only for him. And that means expressing that in a physical sense, whereas sisters, they get to do that and live out in the world. We, as Cloister nuns, we get to have that reminder constantly with, for instance, the grill right here, and then the Cloister walls around our monastery grounds. And as our Holy Mother, St. Teresa used to say, can't the Lord of all the universe have just a few that are only for him? And so that's what we strive to live out.
0: That's very beautiful, and to think of it that way. I've often heard it said that the religious sisters who are outside of the cloister, uh, when we think religious sisters outside of a cloister, nuns inside of a cloister, that their work is a work of prayer, but also a, to do the corporal works of mercy, to work in education is very common, or health care. But that doesn't mean that you do not have work. Here in the monastery, in the cloister, you have a very specific work of prayer, Correct.
3: The best analogy given to us by the church is the body of Christ. And for those in active apostolate, they're the hands and the feet. Whereas we as cloistered nuns, whether Carmelite or we have the precious blood sisters nearby, right? And the like, our job is to be the heart of Christ. And so blood is like the prayer in which gives life to the church, to the body of Christ. And the heart is what is the organ that pumps that blood. And so we get to give give life to the members, you know, the active uh, apostles of our times by praying for them.
2: I would like to add, too, that our Holy Mother said that our apostolate is prayer. We don't come to Carmel just to sanctify ourselves. We come to Carmel to sacrifice our lives for the church and to make our life apostolic for society, for the world, for the church, that we're laying down our lives in prayer, in sacrifice, in penance for those who need our prayers, those who can't pray, those who don't know how to pray, those who, the sick, the suffering, the homeless, those who have fallen away from the faith. We have people who write prayer intentions to us every day or email them or just come to the front door and and ask to speak with one of the sisters and tell us you know their children have fallen away from the faith can we pray for them and or they have sick children or you know so many intentions come to our door and our main apostolate is to pray so you know That's what people expect us to do, and that's what we want to do, and that's why we're here.
0: (laughs) I would imagine this is rooted then in the spiritual works of mercy, that, that apostolate of prayer, especially praying for those who have no one to pray for them in addition to the specific requests that you get from the faithful that send them in or, or come to the monastery that that's a large part of it. So this is where it was confusing for me then the first time I came to the novena because I thought well now hold on I know we have two communities of Carmelites here in St Louis I I think as you put it before the interview your cousins
2: yeah we call them our Carmelite cousins <laughs> yes
0: who are not cloistered they are very active out in the local community and I didn't realize at the time that they were actually two separate communities. I thought it was just two houses of the the same community. But no, here you are in the cloister. And so I thought, well, wait a minute. If, if the sisters are in the cloister, how can they be at the Novena? And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to worry about that because Mass is about to begin. Just pray through Mass. I suppose our listeners and myself were, were curious. How does this work that a, a group of cloistered religious nuns then hosts— a novena for the faithful to attend.
2: Yeah, this is the way that we can share our apostolate with the people of St. Louis. We can draw them in to our celebration of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, who is our principal feast, you know, and be able to draw the the people of the archdiocese in to celebrate with us. And we attend the novena ourselves, but not outside, like you said. We have um, a sound system that is hooked up, and we can sit in our courtyard and hear the mass and hear the, the speakers. But so much of what we do is, is behind the scenes, and we can't share most of our life with the archdiocese. It's it's very hidden. And this is our way of, once a year, opening our doors basically to the laity and to the archdiocese and say, you know come and pray with us with our you know to Our Lady and honor Our Lady in this special way for nine days and and join us in prayer for the church and the world. And uh, this is what we do all year round and, and come join us now.
0: Now I notice the schedule, the novena begins on Saturday, July 9th and runs through Sunday. July 17th, and every evening essentially is the same order, the same program, that there will be a musical prelude at 6.45 p.m., followed by benediction at 7.20 p.m., which leads me to believe that there's a period of Eucharistic adoration when we think of benediction, and then rosary at 7.30, followed by Holy Mass at 8 p.m., and if memory serves, some of these prayers occur in the chapel here at the monastery, and then the Mass, I assume weather permitting, will be outside at the outdoor chapel.
3: Yeah, because it's been going on for now 74 years, and we've had the grace of having so many of the same priests return to us, it's quite an amazing thing to witness how devoted people are, especially our priests to Our Lady. that. They have this routine down. They know what they're doing. So as, you know, you were kind of wondering, well, how does this work with cloistered nuns? How, do, how does it operate? Like, what are what's the actual practicalities of this? Well, we have great people around us, you know, and they help us out a lot. And so they'll lead the faithful through the rosary and to benediction and whatever time in between, like you said, for adoration. And then we also have the grace. I'm not sure what will happen this year, but many of the seminarians from Kenrick have often participated in the past and maybe like leading the rosary or or so forth, you know, and they're a great, great help as well.
0: Wonderful. I noticed also on the flyer that this year the theme is Our Lady and the Fruits of the Holy Spirit and how wonderful that is. It it was actually recently within the past year that I learned that we think of if if St. Joseph is the earthly spouse of the Blessed Mother, that the Holy Spirit is the heavenly spouse of the, the Blessed Mother and how intimately united the two are. Well, sisters, I want to thank you for the time. Before we go, though, I do want to ask perhaps we have some young women listening who are saying, you know, I'm discerning a call, and perhaps, I imagine, much like priesthood and religious life, that the call to the priesthood and the call to the religious life for a man are two separate callings that are sometimes united. The call to religious life and the call to cloistered life are likely the same, that two separate things to discern that can be very closely united. What if a young woman is hearing this and saying, I'd like more information on life with the Carmelites? Is there a particular place they can go or call for more information?
2: Our phone number, which is 314-993-4394. We also have a means on our website of contacting specifically for a vocation request. Also, if they live in this area, they can stop by any time and ask to speak to the Reverend Mother or someone, you know, here who, if she's not here, then they can speak with me or they can speak with the novice mistress if they're interested in a religious vocation. And I would just encourage them, you know, our life is one of like radical self-donation to God. And I know for myself, it was one of those things where I was trying to ignore it, but it just, it doesn't go away. It's just that, you know, that persistent call, like you can't, you can't evade it. You know, he, he's, you know when he's asking it of you, like, you just know.
0: (laughs) I I think of that, I I want to say it's from the scriptures, I know it from a song that they used to sing when I was a child growing up at St. Francis, where could I run from your love? Yeah. The passage in Genesis, Adam, where are you? As if the Lord didn't know where Adam was, but he wanted Adam to recognize. And then
2: you think of St. Peter, it's like, will you also leave me? And he's like, Lord, to whom should I go? I can't go anywhere else because you have captivated me so much that my whole life is wrapped up in you.
0: Finally, sisters, as I think of the world that goes on outside of the monastery the monastery in many ways is like an oasis of prayer in a very chaotic and troubling world and perhaps there are some listeners who are saying i i would love to come to the novena i am unable are there any other opportunities though that i could come and pray at the monastery
3: oh most definitely we have um, the privilege here of having Eucharistic adoration from, and Jesus is exposed after daily Mass, and then we have daily benediction at about eight fifteen, eight twenty, and at night. And so we have people coming to our monastery all day long just to adore our Lord. And like you said, it's an oasis for them. And so for those, especially locally, they would be even able to sign up as one of our Legion members. Where they the the phrase that we use is uh, a visit a week is all we seek, and so there's not much commitment. There's no time frame that you'd have to commit for, but you just come and visit Jesus because no matter what you, you know the public is able to do or not do, there's always a sister on the other side adoring our Lord. So he's never alone.
0: Wow, that's that's beautiful. Well, sisters, I want to thank you so much for this time together. But before we send things back to the studio, could I ask one of you to lead us in a prayer?
3: Lord Jesus, we thank you for bringing us together today. And we ask that you bless all of the listeners who have come to hear your word through Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And that you draw them ever closer to your heart. And that through her protection, that you guide them safely to their home in heaven. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, once again, the 74th annual Novena of Our Lady of Mount Carmel begins Saturday, July 9th, running through Sunday. July 17th with Musical Prelude at 6.45 p.m., Benediction at 7.20, the Rosary at 7.30 p.m., and Holy Mass at 8 p.m. Looking at the list of celebrants and homilists, I don't want to spoil it by giving you the names now. Come for the prayer and then just enjoy the preaching, but there are some wonderful priests and even bishops coming for the novena. And the theme, again, Our Lady and the Fruits of the Holy Spirit, If you take the time to come and pray, I guarantee you will not find it time wasted.
2: Can I just add one thing? Because of COVID, we've had to change from our usual schedule back before we had COVID. We used to have the rosary in the chapel and then go outside only for Mass. But because of coronavirus, we have the rosary outside now at 730 and then Mass at 8.00 outside so that's a different change from before the coronavirus hit it's just so many people want to come that we can't fit everybody into our chapel so the rosary is outside at 7 30 and then the mass is at 8 but the Marian prelude and benediction are inside
0: i can tell you friends that the chapel is beautiful And the grounds are also beautiful. So whether the rosary were inside or outside, it it will certainly be a beautiful rosary. And I think gathered outside together will be quite wonderful as well. Sister Gemma, Rose, and Sister Miriam, thank you so much for hosting us here today. We will continue to pray for you, and and we are very grateful for your prayers for us.
2: Thank Thank you. And we'll keep everyone in our prayers, too.
0: You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back. Stay tuned. We are talking with Crystalina Everett this morning, and you know, you may think the kids are on summer vacation, for those of you who have kids at home, and if you're like me, you're wishing that they were going back to school sometimes. Not all the time, but let's be honest, sometimes we we wish they might be ready to head back tomorrow instead of uh, a month from now. But the reality is summer is a goldmine of opportunity for us as parents. So since the kids aren't back in school, they're on break from school, we're going to have a little parent. I'm not going to call it 101. We've done 101. This is like advanced level. This is graduate level parenting uh, summer school with Crystalina Everett. Crystalina, it's good to be with you today.
4: Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. I wouldn't say I'm advanced level because I'm really in the knee deep thick of still parenting and learning. But wow, am I? It's like trial and error right now, which I guess is the only way to truly learn learn all of this, right?
0: Exactly, and that's why our oldest children uh, feel the way they do about us. I'm sure they love us, but they're also like, Mom, how come you didn't have this figured out? Dad, how come you didn't have this figured out for me? So, Kristalina, you you mentioned the last time we were together that summer is this goldmine of opportunity for us as parents. And at first I thought, well, yeah, we can go to – here in Missouri, we like to go spelunking in, in the caverns, or we go to the amusement park, or we go to the arch, you know, or we go to the state capital, whether it's Missouri or Illinois or the museums, the zoo, and and that's all well and good, but that's not at the heart of what you are saying is the goldmine of opportunity for us.
4: No, the goldmine of opportunity that I realize because the hustle and bustle of school and sports and testing and everything that goes along on top of our jobs or our spouses being away and having to take on more than you normally do because of the school year and work, that in the summertime, things are a little more relaxed, right? And a lot of that is alleviated, and you have this time with your kids. And it would be wise at this point, especially with the way society is and the things coming at us, that it's hard for adults to handle everything happening on a daily basis. We're talking here, not just a week or month. We're talking every day something major is coming out in the news or in the church. And it's really an unstable life everybody is living right now, and that affects our children more than we know, and because we have this time with our children where they're not in school, we need to seize the moment and really dive into our children, because the world is coming at them. The devil wants them, and if you are not standing kind of in the way of that and and building that strong relationship with your child and diving in before they go back in to such an uncertain atmosphere in their school you're going to have problems especially when they are thrusted back into that lifestyle so this is a time where parents really need to take their kids and force themselves and 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 i it's sad to say that but there is times where you have to force yourself and take yourself off the social media rip yourself from work stop doing the things that you want to do or that you think is important and stop and say okay god What is most important that I need to do in my life? And ask God to be your guide instead of the world pulling you in 50 different directions. And it's unbelievable the things that will come up and the things that you will see and realize that you may not have before, especially when it comes to your kids and what is being taught to them.
0: Well, let's start with the basics on this, because, you know, for many of us that have kids in school that go to school, and, and, uh, you know, all the love to our homeschool parents out there, you have a grace that I do not. Um, Me
4: too. (laughs) Kudos to all of you.
0: Exactly. (laughs) I I couldn't do what you do, but I'm so grateful for you. But, you know, for me, I mean, it's easy to think that during the year our day is the same, that we get up in the morning, I leave for work around 6, 20, 6, 30 a.m., uh um, drop the kids off some days at my in-laws house. They feed them breakfast and take them to school if my wife's working that day. And then I pick them up around 3, 3.30, and we come home. We eat dinner. They do their homework. We do the bedtime routine. And they go to bed and lather, rinse, repeat. And on the weekends, we're also tired that we don't want to do anything anyway. But now we're in the summer. And for whatever reason, they're getting up at 5.30 a.m. because they want to fight over who gets to be in charge of what's for breakfast or whatnot. And they've got all this time. The nonsense, right? The nonsense. (laughs) Exactly. But they've they've got all this time and they say, Dad, what do we do? And sometimes, Beth and I, we are at a loss to say, all right, what are we doing today? So where do we begin to build these relationships?
4: First, your mentality has got to change of, okay, how am I going to manage the kids today? You know, how am I going to just going to keep them busy to stay out of my way so I can get done what I need to get done, right? And a lot of parents do have that mentality, I find. And I used to have that mentality. And especially when you have a bigger family like I do and different ages, it's very hard. So it's like you don't want to just manage your children. You want to try to enter into them. And even if it's what I did at the beginning of the summer is I asked the kids, okay, guys, this is what's going to happen this summer every one of you I want to write on a piece of paper of one day that you are going to get with me or we do something just unbelievably special you plan the perfect day with mommy and put in the box and then I'll come and I'll talk to you about that day and see what's realistic and what we can do so that gives them thinking about it and that gives them like oh I get this time we're gonna go out and we're gonna do this and then they start thinking about well what are we gonna talk about what what projects or what things can happen during this time but really, it's getting them excited to spend time with you as a parent, which a lot of them don't want to, right? And then also just going and diving into them, especially in that day. That day is going to be very important. And the sooner you can do it, the better, because it kind of starts the foundation of when you're within the home, then you just start spending little little things here and there and taking the time, especially at night, to talk with your children. Because, Adam, if you really think about it, our children, all of them, no matter how young or old, they're all in the middle of self-discovery right now. And either we can be their guide in that self-discovery or the world will do that for us, right? And the world does not have our children's best interests at heart, but we do as parents. And when the ground shakes beneath us, all of us that it is right now, right? Everybody craves Stability, And everybody goes to something that just gives them that comfort or gives them that like, okay, everything's going to be okay. You want to be that shelter for your children. And and by just spending that time with them, planning things as a family, have a plan every day. Don't just wake up and say, okay, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? How am I going to manage? Have a plan with your kids if you have the ability to do that. Say, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. And that gives them first off stability during the day to know what's coming, but that also that you're going to be a part of it and that you've got things under control. You know what's going on. And then it's really just time is such collateral with our children and especially our teens and actually listening to them. Because as our, as parents, the foundation that we're laying down and the tools that you're giving your kids starts at a very young age, even as two all the way up. Because, for example, let me put this out there. When I got married, I thought, oh, I'm not going to be like my divorced parents. I'm going to be so much different, right? And I had this assumption. But why did I assume that? I wasn't given the tools to have a good marriage. I didn't grow up seeing a good marriage. So why would I just assume that, oh, well, I'm going to do this? And I fell flat on my face, and I had a really hard time because I didn't have those tools instilled within me. I had the wrong tools, and it was breaking things. So right now, parents have the ability to put that foundation of just giving them those right tools of, look, if something's going on, I can go to my parent. If something's going on, I can talk to mom or dad. Just very slowly building that trust with them because that's everything. And they're watching you and they're paying attention to your day-in, day-out life.
0: You know what one of the hardest things about this is, I think not just for myself but for many of us, is that for our children, they need that stability. I I agree 100%. My kids, I I do better with stability in my daily routine, and I always have since I was a young kid. But I often forget when I come home from work at the end of the day that they have been home or with uh, mom out doing things all day long and I'm coming home and I'm tired and I just Mm -hmm. want to sit down for a minute but they just want to be with me because I've been gone for eight nine hours and they they just got dad back and they're excited to have dad back and how I act in that first moment when I walk through the door that sets the stage not just for the rest of the evening but that can have a long-term effect is it Wow, I'm so excited to see you. I'm so glad to be home. And interiorly, I'm pushing through the fatigue. I'm pushing through the tired to be present for my children. Or is it, can you just get away from me? Dad needs some space.
4: Yeah. And it's like, well, you've been gone all day, Dad. What do you mean you need space? You've had space all day long. Or, Mom, you've had space all day long. And they don't understand that. And before you walk in that door, or parents walk in that door to their children when they come home from work, they really have to stop. And get into a mindset of how do you want to show up for your own children and how do you want your children to remember you because how you show up is how they're going to remember you right and all the nice vacations and things that you can do with them over the summer break family time it's absolutely fabulous but at the end of the day what is more important and what they are truly gonna remember is how you showed up for them in their lives day in and day out right and I always want my kids to look back and say man at times yes it was hard Did mom always know what she was doing no but was she there for me absolutely and that's that's a golden ticket right there for any child It's just your time and showing up and looking at them in the eyes putting the phone down and having that five even minute conversation making them feel important
0: all right well we are running out of time so i just want to summarize this really quick to make sure that we've got this We've got the goldmine of opportunity just to be present with our kids, but it's not just enough to be in the room with them. This is the time to start having those conversations with them if we aren't already. How's your day? How are things going? How are you feeling? share our experiences with them. You know, I I was thinking my daughter was at soccer camp last week and she said, the first day she came home, she said, I hated it. I didn't make any friends. And I'm like, well, it's the first day. You don't know anyone there and you were only there for three hours and most of that you were running around on a field. I don't expect you to make friends. But then sharing my experience of childhood of being upset by the same things. That time to come in, to give them the hugs when we leave in the morning and say, I'm going to miss you. When we come home from work to say, I'm so glad to be back with you, to give them one-on-one time, to give them time as a group together to read those bedtime stories, do those bedtime prayers together, but really essentially just that presence and not saying, all right, how am I going to manage my kids for the day so they're out of my hair, but really to flip that question around, how am I going to manage my day so that I am with my kids throughout the day on this summer vacation?
4: Absolutely, and the thing is, don't assume you know your child and things that they've gone through or experienced, because a lot of them don't want to reveal certain things or things they've seen or don't understand because they think you're going to get mad or react in a certain way. And some parents don't know their own child's love language, and I didn't for the longest time. So if anyone, if you leave, leave with this, all parents out there struggling with relationships with their child, especially teens, if you go to love five love languages, I think it's called dot com. And you literally take their love language quiz, sit there. And I did it with all of my kids and they were laughing and joking. And it was like a thing. What a dork mom is sometimes. And you know what I mean? Just certain things I do with them. But you literally take a quiz and you ask your child this question and you keep clicking on the different answers that they give. And in the end, they kind of evaluate what is your child's love language? Is it physical touch? Is it words of affirmation, quality time, the undivided attention we're talking about? Is it receiving a gift? But we're not talking like going to getting iPhones. We're talking like those heartfelt gifts, like, wow, she really thought of me, or acts of service. And for those kids, it's more like your actions speak louder than words. So you really need to know what your love language is for each of your children because they are all going to be different. And if you can just get on top of that right there and utilize that over the summer, by the end of this next month, they will feel so much more loved by you and that you know them. They'll want to spend more time with you, open up to you, and it just sets that foundation of building that good, open relationship that you're going to want when they go back to school, and you want to hardwire them that, I love you, I'm here for you, and you can come to me about anything. And it's good to ask them the question of, what is it you think God wants you to be when you grow up? Kind of always put that on them and feel that in their minds. And then if there are hard situations they come with, even if they're bickering as brother and sister, place the question of, is that how you think God would want you to handle it? And it really does make them think, and I've seen this in my own children, even at the youngest age, we're wired, and God is instilled in us right from wrong, and we know. And if we can instill that at a young age, as they progress and they get older, that, is, that, that compass will be instilled in them.
0: All right. Well, Crystalina, I can't uh, wait to get to part two of this, which, friends, we're going to do next week here on Roadmap to Heaven, because you might be saying, this is all well and good, but have you seen my house, Adam? Have you been there? I mean, we got problems. And friends, I assure you, I have problems, too. We'll be talking about that next week. Until then, Crystalina Everett, thank you for being with us. We're going to take a break here. Don't go anywhere. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven, and this week we are talking with Dr. Scott Hahn about Eucharistic revival. And yesterday we began not with what Dr. Hahn says the Eucharist is, but but what our Lord himself said the Eucharist is. A new covenant, a new testament that we see prefigured and foreshadowed going all the way back to the book of Genesis. So Dr. Hahn, it's good to have you back with us today, and I'm excited to know where we go next
5: Well Adam, I want to thank you again for the invitation. It's so much fun to get together and to discuss the thing that is the single most precious and powerful gift, and that is the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. Well as you mentioned, by way of summary, we laid the foundation in our previous conversation, going all the way back to creation, the seventh day, the Sabbath, the sign of God's covenant, and then how he renewed and fulfilled that covenant in the Exodus, especially through the Passover of the Lamb, and then we could see that abiding presence there in the tabernacle and in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, but also the Bread of the Presence, the Bread of the Face, all of which anticipates, of course, and prefigures the fulfillment that Christ ushers in with the New Covenant. We concluded our time by focusing upon the only occasion where Jesus ever uttered that expression that we're so familiar with, the New Covenant, the New Testament, kind idea, fake, novum testamentum, you know, it's potato, potato. But the conclusion that we reached was that the New Testament was a sacrament before it became a document, according to the document. And so if you want to be a New Testament Christian, you've really got to be a Eucharistic Catholic and renew your devotion to our Lord in the New Testament, in the Eucharist. And so we see how it is that The New Testament is not just made with Christ as the mediator, he himself is the new covenant, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Now, what is the takeaway from this point on? Well, I would say that when we look more closely at Holy Thursday in the upper room to see what he's doing in celebrating the Passover one last time, he's fulfilling it as the Lamb of God, not simply as an irrational animal whose throat is slashed, and then whose blood is drained so that his carcass can be burned and then roasted and eaten by the sacrificial participants in the Old Covenant Passover? No. But all of that foreshadows what Christ does, not only on Holy Thursday in the Upper Room, but it's what illuminates the mystery of what happens the next day at Calvary, on Good Friday. Because we all, as Christians in the 21st century, profess the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, but even more, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross at Calvary. And yet what we don't realize, at least what I didn't realize as an Evangelical Protestant in the process of becoming a Catholic, is what all of us profess in the 21st century is precisely what nobody could have possibly recognized back in the first century if you had been standing there at Calvary at the foot of the cross on Good Friday, you would not have possibly described a sacrifice. Because as devout Jews, we would know that a sacrifice can only take place in the Jerusalem temple on top of an altar with a priest standing by from the tribe of Levi, whereas Jesus is crucified outside the walls of the city, far from the temple with no altars there. So what we would see, what we would recount, would not be a sacrifice, but a Roman execution, and a brutal and bloody one at that. So the question is, how in the world did a Roman execution get turned into a sacrifice and one so holy that it retired the animals that were offered inside the Jerusalem Temple. And the only way to find the answer is, as I found it, was by reading the Church Fathers, kept pointing back to St. Paul. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Paul says, Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed, therefore let us celebrate the feast, let us keep the feast. And the feast, of course. Is the New Passover, or the Eucharist, as he goes on to explain it in the subsequent chapters there in 1 Corinthians. So what we see then is that the Eucharist has to be more than the Last Supper. If the Eucharist is just a meal on Thursday, then Calvary is just an execution on Friday. But if the Eucharist is where the sacrifice of the New Covenant begins, then the Lamb is laying down his life by offering himself up in the Eucharist, but that initiation is only complete. The sacrifice is initiated on Thursday but consummated on Friday, when in fact his body is given up, when in fact his blood is poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins, and that is the blood of the covenant. As we hear in Exodus 24, verse 8, so we also hear in the Gospels. We also hear that it's the blood of the New Covenant fulfilling Jeremiah 31, 31. And so, I mean, in a certain sense, we're off to the races, because what we can see is what we call the Paschal Mystery. That Holy Thursday is what transforms Good Friday from an execution into the consummation of the sacrifice of Christ, the Lamb, but then Easter Sunday transforms that sacrifice into what we call the Blessed Sacrament, into what we call the Holy Eucharist. This is why he... In a certain sense, withheld his own identity to Clopas and his companion as they walked together for hours and hours on Easter Sunday. These two disciples are accompanied by the resurrected Lord, but they don't recognize him until what? Well, their hearts were burning within them as he opened the Scriptures, but only after they arrive at Emmaus, they're at the table, he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them, and that is the moment of disclosure. The revelation of christ the resurrected one and so as their eyes are open in the breaking of the eucharistic bread suddenly he disappears not because he's playing hide and go seek but because he brings their faith like he wants to bring our faith to recognize that in the breaking of the eucharistic bread we have nothing less than the resurrected body blood soul and divinity of christ yes it's the same body that was in the upper room on holy thursday yes it's the same body that was sacrificed on the cross there on Good Friday, yes, it's the same body that was buried in the tomb on Holy Saturday, but more precisely, what we've got to see through the eyes of faith is that the Eucharistic body of Christ is that body which is resurrected, and now ascended into Heaven, and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The creed that we profess is the preparation to celebrate the Holy Eucharist. So after we've read from the Old Testament and the Gospel to show how it's fulfilled, We realize the fulfillment of the Old Covenant by Christ didn't end in the first century. It's going on in the 21st century, and especially in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, where every Sunday is Easter, a little Easter, as the Fathers would call it. And in the Blessed Sacrament, we have the Paschal Mystery. But you can see the continuum, the inseparable connection, that as I said, if the Eucharist is just a meal, then Calvary is just an execution. But if the Eucharist is where the sacrifice was initiated, then of course Calvary is where that sacrifice is consummated. And now with the resurrection and the ascension, our High Priest is in Heaven offering his own glorified humanity, and down here on Earth through the power of the Spirit empowering our priests, including my son, Father Jeremiah, as of 13 months ago, we are now uniting Heaven and Earth. The angels and the saints above and the sinners and the parishioners that are surrounding us are all united in one sacred mystery, the Paschal Mystery. And, I mean, it's going to take a lifetime, and then so, to assimilate all of this. But, I mean, what is more important than assimilating the Paschal Mystery? The unveiling of the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the revelation of why did the Father send the Son? to give us the Holy Spirit, why does it take three eternal divine persons to save one human person like the measly likes of me? Because it's not just forgiving us of sin. It's empowering us to share what family members share, flesh and blood. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I will raise him up on the last day. I mean, a lifetime is not enough. To uh, really contemplate and assimilate all of these mysteries. But what would you prefer to do? Focus on the stock market? On Washington politics? You know, on you know, the rise of corruption and that sort of thing? All of these matter, but what matters much more is the real presence of the resurrected body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. It's almost too good to be true but it's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the Catholic Gospel truth. And so, Adam, that's why I am so grateful, not only for our conversation in this interview, but also for this unique opportunity that we have in these three years to devote ourselves as the Catholic Church in the United States to the truth of God's Word, but not only the Word inspired in Scripture, but the Word that is incarnated in Jesus Christ, who is present to us. So in every Mass, we're going to hear the Word inspirated, the promises of the old fulfilled in the Gospel of the new, but that fulfillment is going to continue as we move from the liturgy of the Word into the liturgy of the Eucharist, where we move from the Word that is inspired in Scripture to the Word that is incarnated in Jesus Christ, our Savior, the firstborn brother among many, many siblings, all of us who are called home to heaven where we will behold the face of God the Father and our Savior, too.
0: Dr. Hahn, this has been a wonderful way of looking at this today, and I love that you asked the question about what better thing could we do than to contemplate this mystery, this inexhaustible mystery? because. After many years of working in parish ministry, and as our listeners know, I, I worked in parish music ministry, directing the choirs and playing the organ, and many triduums spent focusing on Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Today, with new ears, I am hearing how closely these three are and related in a new way, that if our Lord says on Holy Thursday, this is my body given up for you, but does not actually give up his body in the sacrifice on the cross. It's just an empty word on Holy Thursday. And I love that term that you have used and others have used that Good Friday on the cross consummates. The sacrifice. It's such a beautiful term. But then, without the resurrection on Easter Sunday, we're left to wonder well, was the sacrifice even effective? Was it worth it? Did it actually conquer sin and death? But we know and believe that it did, and that the, our Lord's paschal sacrifice is victorious because of the resurrection. And so, I'm excited now. This is going to be on my mind for the rest of the day. And I want to thank you, if nothing else, that particular insight today. And I look forward to continuing our conversation on the Blessed Sacrament as we move throughout the week. Dr. Scott Hahn, thank you so much.
5: Oh, you are so welcome, Adam. I look forward to it as well.
0: Friends, we're going to take a break here. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. We are midway through our week of timeless lessons from timeless women here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. And here with today's lesson on this fine Wednesday is Patty Schneier.
6: Well, we've been talking about women in Scripture, these ancient biblical women, and what can we learn from them, all of us in the modern world, when we put ourselves into those stories. So we talked about Peter's mother-in-law on Monday, and yesterday was the woman at the well. Today, I want to talk about one of my favorite women in Scripture, Hannah. Hannah's from the Old Testament. Her story comes in in the first chapter of Samuel. She's a woman who is barren, and every year she travels to the temple with her husband, Elkanah, and she weeps. She's weeping and she's sad, she's very troubled. Because she desires a child. She is so desiring to have a son or a daughter. And so she goes to the temple and she just prays and prays and she's crying. And Eli notices her. He's the priest at the temple and tells her to sober up. He thinks she's drunk. But here's what she says She says, My prayer has been prompted by my deep sorrow and misery. So who does Hannah represent for all of us? Maybe this is you today. Maybe. It's you if you are consumed by that one thing, the one thing you've been praying for and praying for and praying for. And it seems like the prayer isn't answered. But what does Hannah do? She goes to the temple, she prays, and then she's able to go home and function again. And she's able to carry on with her day and with her life. And I think that's a really important lesson for all of us. Sometimes we get so consumed by the one thing that we want, that we're begging God for, that we miss out on all the good things that are around us. And we need to just go, go take it to prayer, take it to adoration, leave it there so that we can be able to just put one foot in front of the other and function. So if that's you today, if you're a Hannah today, that's my prayer for you that you can pray about it, hand it to God and not let it consume your whole day, but be able to leave it with God, trust that he will work it out in his perfect will.
0: It sounds like Hannah has a very similar lesson to the woman at the well, which means we probably ought to be paying close attention, friends. If we're hearing this lesson twice, what are we holding on to that we could leave in God's hands? Patty, what a great encouragement for us today. Well, it's been a joy to be with you today. Before we wrap up, I do have some more information for you. We gave you the phone number for the Carmelites earlier, but we did not give you the website, and they do have a website. So if you're interested in the Carmelite Novena or the Monastery of the Carmel of St. Joseph here in St. Louis, the web address is stlouiscarmel.com. That's S-T-L-O-U-I-S, Carmel, C A R M E L dot com, St. Louis Carmel dot com. If you just uh, do an internet search for Monastery of St. Joseph in St. Louis, it will come up. And when you go to their webpage, you can read all about the Solemn Novena to Our Lady and who the speakers are. And I promise you, there's some really great homilists, but all of the Masses are going to be wonderful. So, you know, I, I feel weird even saying they'll be great because every Mass will be wonderful. Finally today, I would like to ask you to join me in a very special intention. I was speaking with uh, some family friends who are farmers, and they were talking about how there has just not been enough rain. And every time it looks like it's going to rain, it doesn't rain. So I thought we could say a prayer for rain this morning for all of our farmers throughout the nation and the world who are awaiting rain. So we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, we are in need of rain. We realize now, looking up into the clear blue sky, what a marvel even the last drop of rain really is. To think that so much water can really fall out of the sky, which is now empty and clear. We place our trust in you. We are sure that you know our needs, but you want us to ask you anyway, to show you that we know we are dependent on you. Look to our dry hills and fields, dear God, and bless them with the living blessing of soft rain. Then the land will rejoice, and rivers will sing your praises, and the hearts of all will be made glad. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Queen of all saints, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, once again, I would like to thank Sister uh, Gemma Rose and Sister uh, oh, now I thought I forgot her last name. I apologize for that, but I want to thank both sisters for welcoming us out to the Carmel. I'd like to thank Dr. Scott Hahn for being with us again today and for coming back tomorrow, and Kristalina Evert for being with us today, and we'll continue our conversation with her next week. Uh, tomorrow on Roadmap to Heaven, we're going to be talking about a very special opportunity coming up this weekend, the opportunity to venerate relics of St. Bernadette Subaru. Until then, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to pray
5: your rosary today.